0: Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, welcome to A Dictionary of Finance and our special legal jargon episode part two. In fact, it's an entirely more competitive situation than usual on A Dictionary of Finance today.
1: Yes, this is Snooze You Lose part two. You can listen to the first part uh, on our podcast page. If we go to the last podcast we did, and it's a legal jargon game show. And we have lawyers from the European Investment Bank pitting their wits against each other. And um, in the end, we may decide, you know, who is the best. You can refer to me as Your Honour. So Your we'll Honour. Uh,
0: you are the gentleman of the jury. And we have the counsel here, including
1: King of Soltesh. Kinga is uh, counsel in the European Investment Bank's Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Eastern Neighbors Division. We also have um, Tom Gwynn.
0: Tom is a counsel in the UK and Ireland unit of the European Investment Bank's Legal Direc- Directorate. It's hard to say that. Uh, yes, because it's from a Latin root. We'll get into some Latin today.
1: Yes. A uh, uh, simpler name, Maria Serrato, uh, the Senior Counsel for the EIB Spain and Portugal Legal Division. And Matthias Brzezinski is in the Austria and
0: Germany legal unit of the EIB. We've pretty much got all of Europe covered. Now we just have to get all of Europe's legal system covered on a dictionary of finance, Snooze You Lose. For the second episode of our legal jargon game show, Snooze You Lose, We're going to start with Matthias, and this is
2: possibly my favorite legal phrase,
0: yank the bank. (laughs) Matthias, what does that mean?
2: Well, yank the bank um, is a concept which is um, usually used in more complex um, financings um, loan agreements. It uh, means that the borrower has um, the possibility to get rid of a bank, of a certain um, lender, in a group of lenders, in a syndicate. Um, so um, typically this applies if, if a lender for example cannot provide the required financing or maybe um, more simply and more common um, if there is an amendment to the to this finance contract and this whole group of lenders agrees except one of the lenders um the borrower has the possibility to exchange um, this lender and um, typically the conditions are provided in the in the in the contract,
0: it sounds like it might be uh, an American phrase. Wait, do you know where it comes from,
2: or is that I just a well? Uh, you, you
3: you think it was something to do with bank bashing, wouldn't you, after the financial crisis? Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but it's actually it's a not. good
0: thing. It's actually a good thing. <laughs> it's, it's in well, your contract. If you have it's that it's in your contract, for, it's good for you know borrowers thing, who were yeah. under
3: pressure. I think during the financial crisis. I think, if I remember correctly, the origin of this uh, may have been America, but it's. Uh, it was in a London transaction that I came across it where a borrower was under severe pressure and they encountered a difficult bank. You know, After the financial crisis, banks were a lot more strict and limited in what flexibility or how they can accommodate certain requests or, or needs of a borrower. And so it's kind of naughty in a way because the way a borrower gets round, as Matthias was saying, of this problem, a problematic bank, a trouble bank, as it were, being difficult, is to generally pay them out if the loan is already made. You know? so, so, so the bank that gets
1: yanked, they do get their money back? In most cases, I mean, yeah, Matthias, I, uh, I think exactly. that's the concept,
3: isn't it? They get paid out in full early. There is, is
2: no, no um, penalty or, or any prepayment um, indemnity or, or any indemnity in, in general which needs to be paid, but of course the lender um, will get the money back and, and interest and any other amounts which may be due under the contract so why wouldn't the
1: banks just all want to get yanked
2: they just get their money and go
1: they're they're done with it. well
2: if there, there may be external f- reasons why they cannot accept this um this change to this contract um yeah you okay. know, these are
4: typical and structured financing, which are typically for a very long period of time, for 20, 30 years. And uh, this is a very good position for a bank uh, if there is a well-operating uh, Uh, syndicate or community of banks, they can work together, they can decide on issues uh, smoothly, Uh, then it's a constant uh, uh, flow of income for them. So it's also good for the banks to have a stable portfolio, which is uh, performing. Uh, But also for the borrowers, they have, just think about it, they have to operate a project. And uh, let's assume that you have a motorway financing where unexpected things happen all the time. So if you have a nasty bank who always ask a lot of questions, never reply on time, and then they're just causing headaches uh, to the uh, guys managing the financing of this uh, company doing the motorway, they, their interest is to, to have a community of lenders who are easy to, to cooperate with. I think but of course, in this,
3: this situation, as King has said, is a long-term thing, and it's not all about the money. Often it's a severe blow to the relationship between that borrower and a bank. So in mm-hmm. most cases, it's pretty much game over mm-hmm. in the bank-client relationship. Mm-hmm. Because once you yank the bank, the borrower is telling the bank, we don't want to do business with you anymore. There's no de-yanking? or you know, <laughs> kind of No physical or, you know, uh, relationship. I mean, no physical impact. But in terms of relationship, you know, there are bruised Mm -hmm.
0: Let's stick with one that sounds also like you might be either British or American. Uh, Maria, carve-out.
5: Well, carve-out is something we lawyers spend lots of time working on and negotiating with our clients. Um, A carve-out is actually an exception to a general obligation. So if I'm going to give you money and I want to be repaid, I may tell you, well, during the lifetime of the loan... I don't want you to sell your assets. I want to keep your properties the way they are today because I want you to be financially strong enough until you pay me back. However, you may say, well, actually, I promised my dad that I was going to sell him my old part. And I promised that a year ago. I have to honor that obligation. I can't, I cannot do that to him. So you'll come back to me. I, The lender will look into it and I'll say, well, okay, that all car is actually... It's not a lot of value that is in there, so I think I will, I can live with it. So in the contract, in the loan agreement between us, we are going to set an obligation in which you will commit not to sell your assets until you have paid me back. But we're going to introduce a curve out. We're going to introduce an exception in which you can freely sell your old car to your dad and you don't have to ask me for my permission. So at least you can be in peace with your dad and we... We'll be both happy about it. Well, That's
1: very clear and simple. I, I actually feel like I understood
0: it. You are be becoming a lawyer. But one of the things about lawyers that we associate with them is uh, what we should call, I suppose, sneaky tricks. This is one of the things why we, we love legal fiction and things like that, and we like to watch them on TV. So, Tom, a sneaky trick. To the best of my knowledge, after due inquiry...
3: Yes, this is uh, one of those gems uh, folks where you know you toing and froing, arguing for hours and days and weeks, and people obviously saying that you know it goes back to the point that Matthew uh, Matthias and Maria were saying about reps and warranties and covenants, obviously, when a borrower makes a rep, they say, "I have this much assets I have." I run this business this way, I make X amount of money, I could repay you, you know, 5 million each year, etc., etc. But if those reps were to be inaccurate or wrong, then it usually gives a blender a right to terminate the loan and demand it all back. So it's very important that when a party like a borrower or a, a, a company makes a rep, they are fully aware of what's going on in their business, their group, their holdings, their subsidiaries. So it's very important when they make those reps, they don't do it lightly. They have to know precisely how many trucks, tractors they have in the field. And then they will typically sometimes say, well, my group, my empire of business is so large, I can't possibly know how many microwaves, photocopiers we have. And then the banks will typically say, okay, we understand. You know, it's so vast and so complicated and so spread out. You may not know to the minuscule details what you own, what you have, and make a certain representation, but we want you to make sure that you make these representations based on the best of your knowledge. And sometimes, and often, I would say, the best of a certain borrower or company's knowledge is not enough. You know, we want them to go as far as saying, to the best of our knowledge, after due inquiry. So we typically sneak in some extra words to say after doing inquiry, because there's no point in them sitting at their office and saying, yeah, we've got 500 tractors. We want them to actually go out there, make an actual due diligence check, do inquiry, as it were, count how many tractors they have, and then come back to us and tell us. Because three-
5: I, actually it would be so easy to say, I didn't know. I mean, and there's... It's very hard to prove that you know when you're saying... It's something that it's within you. Either you... If you know or you don't know it, only you you're able to say. So, but with your, when you're adding that extra obligation, that extra bit, saying, to the best of your knowledge, after having made your inquiry, you're raising the standards. You're saying actually you have to do, you have to demonstrate that you did that piece of I- investigation and that you actually checked what was going on. So
0: it's actually a counter to sneaky tricks. Actually, it's not really a sneaky trick itself.
4: I see. I always see this uh, when I edit that it's uh, lighter for the borrower uh, because uh, if they just make a statement saying there is no insolvency claim made against our company uh, it says there is no insolvency claim against my company and if it's not the case then they are 100 percent liable mm-hmm. but there are certain uh, cases where there is actually a claim but they were not in the position to know about it because it was submitted to a court and the court didn't inform them yet and there is no publicly available database from where, even after due inquiry, they would be able to tell this. So I tend to accept uh, this uh, request uh, if uh, I think it's reasonable uh, that uh, they, and even if they are very diligent and they do all the inquiries, they might not know everything about the situation.
0: Okay, so maybe it was just me thinking that lawyers have sneaky tricks. But one thing that people do think about lawyers as well is that they, they can be great orators, they can speak quite poetically. Which brings me, Kinga, to this one, which is very poetic, insolvency waterfall.
4: Well, I agree the waterfall part is quite uh, poetic, uh, but in banking law or corporate law general, uh, this is not so much. Um, I think it's one of the saddest situations that can happen in the life of a corporate when it goes into insolvency, which means that uh, due to the fact that it is not able to pay uh, its uh, payment obligations, it will be sadly terminated without legal successor. And the waterfall in this situation means that in the process of the insolvency, uh, the court-appointed uh, liquidator will sell all the assets of this company and um, basically uh, give it uh, to the creditors and the order um, in which the creditors uh, get uh, satisfaction from the insolvency pool. Uh, So you see it's related to water. Uh, It's called insolvency waterfall. So first, uh, the so-called secured creditors uh, will be satisfied. In your case, uh, Maria will have the proceeds of your watch. Uh, And then the claims um, of the state, of course, will be satisfied. And then the rest. Uh, And the bottom of the waterfall is is the the
1: shareholder category. So does, does a waterfall? Is that does that have steps or how do you call it? Is that, does a water, water fall down ladders or?
4: It's called categories. Categories. Uh, okay. And uh, you That's welcome. not so poetic anymore. No, not really. I'm sorry. But
1: poetry is uh, um, sad, quite often. I think so. Insolvency mm-hmm. waterfall, I think,
5: makes melancholy. Awesome. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. But all lenders would like to be on top of the waterfall. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. The lower you are. <laughs> The mm-hmm. worst it gets. Is there a legal
0: term going over the insolvency waterfall in a barrel? <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Canadian lawyer. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's what they do. One one more question, and then after that, Alar has his big surprise ending, which is the, the big tiebreaker. So I'm going back to you, Matthias. Boilerplate
2: clause. Um, boilerplate clauses are quite standard clauses, um, typically contained at the very end of the of the contract. Um, such as of, uh, choice of law, or choice of um, forum, the court which which shall be competent to hear the case, or rules on notices, meaning how the parties should communicate via email or, or in writing, or uh, rules on assignment, confidentiality. Those are typically typically you concentrate on the on the main operative commercial terms of a contract, and typically you do not um, heavily negotiate those boilerplate clauses at the very end however it uh, can happen that um, those clauses also become very important confidentiality or um, um, which is also called midnight clause by the way and um, oh. the dispute resolution clause which is also typically negotiated at the very end very late night <laughs> but um, well but once a dispute arises then it's um, all of a sudden extremely important and um, If it's not um, well-drafted, then uh, you have a problem. But couldn't
1: you just leave out the boilerplate clauses and just include acting reasonably?
2: Um, Well, I'm afraid that would be too vague, and, and there are many concepts which indeed need to be covered. Um, by 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 a contract, but sh- but which is um, typically standard standard language, which you don't um, really negotiate. Midnight, Midnight. Clause. Midnight. Like Midnight that. clause, That's yeah. my next novel,
0: I think. <laughs> <laughs> so now we come ipso locator, to to uh, Allah with his well, tie-breaking question. Well, who
1: can tell me what a drop dead clause is?
4: I would say that this would be a provision uh, if, uh, until a certain deadline, certain things will not happen, then, without any further discussion, a certain other event will happen. In financial terms, I would say an event of default closes like that. So, if you uh, don't uh, pay, uh, the bank will have immediately the right to um, accelerate the loan. So, without further discussions, uh, you will so have to. So it's tied pay to the back.
3: concept drop dead day. Because that is the date yes. where you have to do something, and if you don't, God help you. Basically, everything, you know, heaven's open and Armageddon. I think Kinga. Drop dead date. So. Yes,
1: I think you've got it. Yes, I think that's. I think that's it. That's got to be it. But well, let's try. Let's try one more. Let's do it. Okay. So, correct me if I'm wrong. I understand there's such a thing as a data room where you do due diligence
4: of course yeah. oh yes this what is,
1: is that is that like a it, you know it, is, it a, is it a nice room <laughs> is, is it a carpet you know what
5: no it's an ugly room it's because ugly- you go to the corporate to do the due diligence it's a big room nobody uses it so it's usually not natural light uh, but there are plenty of computers in there uh, nothing fancy works, fa- happens there. And you just put all the lawyers and all the financial analysts into that room to work four hours and get all the data from that corporate into their computer so that actually after that and after analyzing all that, they can produce their due diligence report. But it's not it's not a fancy place, that for sure.
4: But I think it's a nice memory for all trainee lawyers because <laughs> yes, you start yes. your job um, uh, going into data rooms and uh, uh, then physically be together with the papers. Though I have to say we are a younger generation, so data rooms nowadays more like only virtual, mm. which means that you just mm. sit in front of if your no. own computer in your usual room and you just enter a virtual space um, and you check, read through all the documents, typically thousands, thousands of. Pages. But good old times uh, when I started to work, my colleagues said that yes, when they started, they even had cases where they had to travel to Japan uh, to check out this physical data room of the company. I'm afraid not I to spend a yeah, lot I mean, in a the, data room.
3: The two typical in Japan. The wow. two typical know. aspects uh, of uh, data room, I think, still exists is in a acquisition M and A. You know, corporate a company buys or takes over another company and they need to understand how much debt or how much problems a company has. So the target company that's being bought out will typically put in one room all the information, all the contracts it has with other... So if you're buying a cashew nut supplier, you need to know who his customers are, and he'll put in that room all the contracts he has with all the cashew nut buyers, grocery stores. And you send your junior lawyer, go in there, and check if the contracts are valid and do they worth you know, a certain amount, uh, or do they have any penalties, liabilities that you inherit if you acquire that company? So you need to know what you're buying.
1: Would they provide any nuts, though, just to keep you going? They may, they
3: may ask you the quality of nuts if that was an issue, but or, or indeed, uh, you know, what hidden skeletons are there in the company? Are but they you, be, you know.
4: cannot be too greedy because then it would be bribery. If you eat too much nuts, you like uh. it too much, <laughs> it, would, it could qualify and, in and the report.
3: True. And the other context of data room, Experience is where you've got uh, litigation. You know you prepare the case to the court, and you need to understand the history of the dispute. And typically, in the data room, as Kinga, the rest of us have mentioned, it's a due diligence exercise, information gathering. It can be
0: fun. So data rooms now exist only in M&A, most acquisitions, litigation, and and Hollywood movies. And finance as well. Ah, finance a little bit. Okay. You know why cashews are so expensive? It's because there's only (laughs) one in each uh, apple. There's an apple on a cashew tree, and there's one cashew nut in the middle of each one. So you need a lot of apples to have one bag. So... That's why they're so expensive.
4: So, you did some due <laughs> and some cashews.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about the so law. You but you had a data room, cashew data room experience yourself. Me and nuts. I, no learned, nuts. I learned a
1: lot today about nuts and law. So, thank I'm you, everyone. Help, happy to help. <laughs> You're welcome. So, this was a fantastic episode of the
0: legal jargon part of the, uh, the podcast that we do here A Dictionary of Finance. Maybe we'll do another one. You can let us know if you enjoyed it. You can let us know what other legal terms you happen to have seen in your contracts that you would like our experts here to explain to us. Get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at EIP Matt, M-A-T-T. I'm looking at Alar right now, who's about to spell
1: his name out for you. Yes, and I'm at Alar Tankler, at A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. I hope you're writing that down. If you're driving while you listen to this
0: podcast, you can write to me at E-I-B-M-A-T-T. That is easier. So we'll see you next week for another episode of A Dictionary of Finance.